0: Good morning, morning. everybody had a good week, looking forward to another good week as well, and uh, I know if you're like me, we're looking forward to the time of fellowship uh, after services this morning as we uh, gather together for a little potluck, a little bit of meal, uh, and time together. Now this week, um, our reading was uh, Acts chapters 7 through 11, I forgot my water. Um, Acts chapter 7 through 11, there's a lot of information in here that's uh, important for us to consider, especially when it comes to the plan of salvation. Uh, We talk about the plan of salvation a little bit, uh, probably not as much as we probably should, uh, because for most of us here, we've all followed that plan of salvation. Um, There are some that are here today that perhaps haven't followed that plan of salvation And the plan of salvation is not our plan of salvation. It is God's plan of salvation, and it is clearly seen throughout the book of Acts, and especially in our reading this week. So as we just uh, heard read there in Acts chapter 10, uh, that was Peter speaking uh, and uh, was addressing uh, the household of Cornelius, as well as, and this is the important part, um, some circumcised brethren who were with them. What does that mean? Well, that means they were part of the Jewish faith. They were Jewish converts to Christianity. And we'll talk more about that uh, today as we go through this. And we're going to look, if you want to turn in your Bibles, to Acts chapter 11. And we're going to look specifically at this conversion of Cornelius. Now, Acts chapter 10 goes through all of it in a longer detail, but that detail is Luke's detail. All right? So, as Luke's narrative continues into Luke chapter eleven, look at verses one through three of Luke chapter eleven, we'll start, or uh, Acts chapter eleven. Sorry, uh, and we'll start there. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, "You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them." So we'll stop there. So, word spreads throughout the area to all of the brothers who were throughout Judea. That means the other Christians who were throughout Judea. Now, again, the circumcision party would indicate that there was some sort of division already within the church very early on those who were circumcised and those who were not, except there wasn't, right? Right now, these are all Jewish converts. The Cornelius and, and the, uh, the conversion of Cornelius in his household seemingly is uh, outside of, uh, no, actually the eunuch was a Jew as well. It would seem because of what he was studying. He was he had pilgrim, pilgrimed up to Jerusalem, was studying the Old Testament. So it would seem that he had Jewish roots. So this would appear to be one of the first Gentile conversions. And so pretty much everybody to this point were a part of this circumcision party. Uh, but the reason why that is brought up is because they were focused on, The circumcision. They were focused on the old law. So word spreads, and Peter's actions are now criticized by some of these Jewish Christians. Now, again, there are two accounts of the telling of Cornelius' conversion. We have Acts chapter 10, again, which is Luke's description as it occurred. And in chapter 11, we have Peter's description. Uh, And he gives this description as a defense for his actions. He's defending himself here. So I hope you read chapter 10 through our reading this week, because we're not going to read all of that, but we are going to touch on some of the key points of that as we kind of do a harmony of these two accounts. So if if you've got 10 and 11 on different pages, keep a finger on over in 10, because we'll be flipping back and forth um, at, at one point. So why should we study Peter's description of the events in harmony with Luke's description in chapter 10. The conversion that is spoken of here is often used uh, to support false doctrines surrounding the the necessity of baptism for salvation. Uh, And it's important to know what happened, why it happened, and how it happened So, that we can know what is expected today and how to answer those who question our beliefs surrounding baptism. So, uh, let's pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 11. Look at uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 4. But Peter began and explained it to them in order I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending. Being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was made clean. I'm sorry. And all was drawn up again into heaven. So Peter has a vision. Okay, he has a vision, uh, and this vision is also recorded in chapter ten. Uh, this version in Acts chapter eleven is a lot shorter than the version that we see in in chapter ten um, because, again, he's kind of cutting it a little bit short because he's defending himself. He needs to get to the meat uh, of of the story here so that he can. Um, let these Jewish brethren know what happened and why it happened. Uh, This vision is important. It's so important that it's repeated to him three times. The number three is important to Peter, right? Why is the number three important to Peter? Well, he denied Jesus three times, and then after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus asked him three times whether or not he loved him. As he reinstated Peter. So it seems that it takes Peter three times to understand what's right. Because it wasn't until the third time that he denied Jesus and the rooster crowed that he realized that he messed up. And it wasn't until the third time that Jesus asked him whether or not he loved him, that Jesus welcomed him back, basically. So it took him three times to understand the importance of this vision. But who tells Peter to go? Who tells Peter to go to the Gentiles? So we have this vision, and the vision, of course, is to let Peter know that Gentiles are not unclean. What God has made clean, do not call uncommon. Right? And that's what the Gentiles have always been. They've been unclean, they've been the outsiders, we don't deal with Gentiles. So who tells him to go to the Gentiles? Let's look at the next verses, verses 11-12. through 12. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the house. So verse 11 tells us that the men who came from Caesarea were not the ones who told Peter to go. They just came and brought the message from Cornelius. Cornelius would like to see you. So Peter has a choice. Peter can either say, nah, that's all right, or he can go. So who tells him to go? Well, verse 12 tells us that the Spirit told him to go. So if the three visions repeated over and over and over weren't enough to convince Peter that he needed to take the gospel to the Gentiles, then the Holy Spirit telling him to go do that surely was enough. Obviously it was because he continued on. Now, In verse 12, there's also a statement It says, The Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Now you may have something different in your translation, that's the ESV. But basically what this means, the word that's used there means no doubt or no discrimination. I like that definition a lot. Go with them, making no discrimination. Because really, in in reality, when we look at the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, it was a discriminatory relationship. The Jews wanted nothing to do with them because they were unclean. But God said, no, they are fine. They're clean. Go to them and bring them the gospel. Go without any discrimination. Now, it's also important to note that Peter is accompanied by six brothers. These are fellow Christians, as we read earlier, they were of the, the circumcised party. Okay, They were from Joppa, and they went with him as he uh, went to the Gentiles. So, this party that is traveling from Joppa to Caesarea can, consists of seven Christians, Peter and the six brothers, and then the three men who Cornelius sent. So, ten people all together come into Cornelius' house. Now, let's continue here. Uh, Let's look at verses 13 through 14 and look at um, Cornelius explaining why he sent for Peter. Verse 13, And he, being Cornelius, told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. Verse 14, He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved you and your household. Now, verse 14 there is very important. This is kind of the key that I think a lot of people jump over. Peter was bringing a message by which they would be saved. That is what the angel told Cornelius. He said, send to them for this message, basically. Now the Spirit falling on the Gentiles. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. As I began to speak, Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us in the beginning. So at the beginning, Peter there is referring, of course, to Acts chapter 2. The first three or four verses of Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit fell on them on the day of Pentecost. That's what he's referring to. Verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So, Peter is reminded of the promise that Jesus gave them, and that's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, that Peter says that. He's reminded of this promise regarding the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This convinced Peter that if God gave the Gentiles the same gift that he gave the apostles when they believed on the Lord, then who was he to withstand God? There's another important part of this story, and that's found in verse 18, and it's the Impact that Peter's detail of this event has on those who are hearing it in Jerusalem. Verse 18 When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They were silenced meaning they stopped criticizing Peter. They obviously weren't quiet anymore because they were glorifying God. When it says they were silenced, it means they stopped criticizing. and Instead, they glorified God, which is a great sign of humility and admitting that they were wrong. Now, Peter's telling of his account not only silenced his objectors and led of course, to the Gentiles being considered acceptable for receiving the gospel of Christ. But his account also adds important details and context that we should carefully note. Um, So what we're going to look at now is kind of uh, some observations from the combination of both Peter's account uh, to those who were criticizing him and Luke's detailing of the events in chapter 10. So... The first part here, the order of events is important. Why are the order of events important? Well, Peter explains the things in order. Okay, he makes note of saying that, and it's very similar to what Luke does. As Luke opens up his gospel account uh, to Theophilus, he, his focus is chronology, putting things in order in which they happened. So if there's any question about the order of events, Peter's eyewitness testimony to those who were uh, objecting to his choices, that should take precedence. So with that said, let's look at the moment when Cornelius was saved, because this this is the argument. This is the debate that many people have in regards to salvation and when one receives it. So first, we should remember that Cornelius was told to send for Peter. Why was he told to send for Peter? Flip flip over to chapter 10 and look at verses 4 through 6. And he, being Cornelius, stared at him, being the angel, in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So Simon is staying with Simon. Confused? Well, the angel made sure to clear that up. Don't bring Simon the tanner. We want Simon, the one called Peter. Why? Because he was going to, as, in, as we saw in Acts chapter 11, look at verse 14. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. See, the the two accounts complement one another. We don't get the full message that's being said uh, to Cornelius in the first part. Rather, Peter explains exactly what the angel said. Now, let's take that point for a moment. Some people look at that and say, well, what Peter says in chapter 14, he's just just defending himself. He's bringing that up as a defense point. So are they saying Peter is lying? That that didn't happen? That the angel didn't say those things to to Cornelius? I'm not going to take that jump at all. This is a compliment. They don't contradict one another whatsoever. So from this understanding, we see as well in other conversions, that Cornelius was not saved until he heard the message. In other words, after the lesson that Peter gave was when salvation came. But there was more. But it was not until he heard the message that salvation was even possible. Cornelius was not saved until he obeyed what he was told to do. Right? What was he told to do? What were the words that he was told to obey? Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now the hymns in that sentence referring to Jesus. So... From that, we, we can see that they were told to believe. That implies that belief was necessary. Now, look at verse 48 of chapter 10. And he commanded them, or as Clint's version said, ordered them, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So, they were commanded to be baptized, they were told to believe. Thus, the message that they were told by which they would be saved was believe and be baptized. It's exactly what Jesus instructs in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. It's exactly what happens that we saw earlier in our reading this week of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. Believe and be baptized. Therefore, Cornelius and his household were not saved until they believed and were baptized. Now, if you were here for our class this morning, the people in Israel, in the time of Joshua, they had a choice. They could either get rid of the gods of the the area that they were living in and follow the one true God, or they could follow the other gods. They had to choose. And Joshua pushed them and made sure that they chose correctly. And as we see at the end of Joshua and into the Judges, they followed and obeyed and honored God throughout the years of Joshua and then the years of the elders who had followed Joshua and seen all the wonderful things that God had done during that time. But it was the next generation, though, that fell. They fell away from God. And you can read that throughout the book of Judges as well. Philippians 2 verse 12. We read that in class this morning as well. We have to work out our own salvation. It's a choice that we have to make as humans. God sending down the Holy Spirit doesn't save someone because that's not giving them a choice. Baptizing an infant doesn't give that infant a choice. That's the parents making a choice for the infant. Believe and be baptized. Both are choices. You can't have one without the other. So, what was the purpose then of the Holy Spirit falling on them before their point of salvation. Well, the purpose of the Holy Spirit falling on them, um, some of them, well, let, let me, let's step back a minute. Some people uh, presume and teach that the purpose was to save Cornelius and his household. And I hope to this point that I've shown that that's not accurate. Because this doctrine erroneously suggests that they were saved before obeying the command to be baptized before hearing the message of Jesus. Because from everything that we read about Cornelius, he was praising God, but there was no relationship, there was no knowledge of Jesus and the salvation that Jesus offered. He just knew that God existed, and he feared God, and he praised God, and he loved God, but that wasn't enough. Praying to God, Cornelius was praying to God, was not enough to save Cornelius, he needed to hear the gospel. He needed to believe, obey, and be baptized. So, we need to remember the order. So, these, these points that we're going over here, if you ever talk with anybody who has the belief that you can be saved before baptism, this is a good outline or a good starting point to direct them to in Scripture. Don't use your own opinions, use Scripture. Because it's God's word. This is God's plan of salvation. The Holy Spirit fell upon them as Peter began to speak. That means that before they were able to hear the message by which they could be saved, the Holy Spirit fell on them. The Bible clearly states that it was the message that would give them the words by which they would be saved. So, if the message had no bearing on their salvation, why even send for Peter? Why have him come bring a message if it didn't matter? If all God needed to do was send the Holy Spirit down on them, that that would bring about salvation, why did they need to hear? So the purpose of the Holy Spirit falling on them has to be something else. Because it wasn't for salvation. Remember, the only thing that is mentioned in Scripture that would lead to salvation was the message that was brought to them and the subsequent, uh, subsequent obedience to the message, to what they had been told. So the purpose... Can instead be gleaned from the following. Look at Acts chapter 10, verses 45 through 47. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So the purpose of the Holy Spirit falling on them can be seen in the reaction of these Jewish brethren that had accompanied Peter. Peter could have gone by himself. But as we see throughout Scripture, testimony is best accompanied by two or three witnesses. How about six? Six people who got to witness all of this themselves. Look at Acts chapter 11, verses 17 through 18. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit falling on the Gentiles can also be seen in the reaction of those Jewish brethren in Jerusalem who were criticizing Peter. They fell silent, and they glorified God. Look at Acts chapter 15. We'll read this in our reading this week. but Acts 15, uh, verses 7-11 through 11 here. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Hear the order? Hear the gospel and believe. can also be seen in this explanation that Peter gives at the Jerusalem Council, uh, what seems to be several years later. The purpose of the Spirit falling on the Gentiles was intended by God to show the Jewish brethren three things. The first... If you look back in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Point number one why the spirit fell on the gentiles was to show the jewish brethren that god shows no partiality there is no discrimination the second reason why the spirit fell on the gentiles was to show the jewish brethren that god was willing to grant gentiles the same opportunity to repent and have life in Christ. And that is what is proclaimed in chapter 11 and verse 18 by those who doubted Peter and and challenged Peter. They said, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And lastly, was to show the Jewish brethren that Gentiles could be saved in the same way as the Jews. It's what we just saw in Acts chapter 15. See, Peter's defense of his actions silenced his critics. They accused him of wrongdoing in two ways, both in socializing with the Gentiles and by preaching the gospel to them. Of course, this isn't the end of the issue of Gentiles within the church. As we saw in Acts chapter 15, it is one of the major issues that sparks this Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. Again, we'll read that this week. But it's also a major issue that's addressed in several of Paul's letters. But we are Gentiles today. We didn't have, well, some of us had Jewish upbringings. But most of us didn't have Jewish upbringings. Most of us weren't Jews coming into Christianity. We were Gentiles So we, as Gentiles today, can be thankful that God in His infinite grace and mercy and love has made it clear that He shows no partiality and that salvation is available to all who believe and are baptized. Believe and obey. Both of those things are a requirement of salvation. It's what we see throughout Scripture. Every conversion that we have an account of in Scripture follows this plan of salvation. And anything that man makes up today to supplant what God has put in his word is null and void. God has ultimate authority. His word is the authority, not man. So, as I mentioned before, we all have a choice. We either choose to obey what God has commanded, or we choose to not. As we've been looking at throughout the throughout our study in Proverbs and Sunday evenings over the past several months, there are two paths: the path of the wisdom, or path of the wise, and the path of the foolish. There's always two paths in the Bible. There's the narrow way that leads to salvation, and there is the wide path that leads to destruction that many take. I've heard the question before, all these, all these different doctrines about baptism, you know, God, God can't care about the finite details of it. He can't care whether we're sprinkled or poured. That, that, that can't matter. He says the path is narrow that leads to salvation. The wide path that many take, hey, it seems right. But as the psalmist says, the things that seem right to man lead to destruction, lead to death. So what's your choice today? If you've heard the the gospel message, you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you haven't followed God's plan of salvation, can we assist you in doing that this morning? If you have any other need that we can assist you with, as we stand and sing this next song, won't you come forward and make those requests known so that we, as the body of Christ, can assist you in the best way that we can, through prayer, through study, or through just a shoulder to to cry on. We're here to assist you in any need that you have. Won't you come while we stand and sing?